I'm Ben Grimm, and you're listening to the Better Employer Podcast from Hub International. And welcome. We've been on a short hiatus and happy to be back in this brave new world of 2021. And what an awesome way to return. I'm here today with Jared Olson, HR disruptor and current head of customer success at Motivocity. I spoke with him back in December about his life and the many lessons he's learned over the years as an HR leader, as a father, and as an influential voice in the Utah business community. A main takeaway for me from our conversation, most leaders are bad at performance management. I hope you enjoy the interview. Be sure to visit anchor.fm hub international to submit a question or a specific topic you'd like us to cover here on a future episode. Jared, thanks for joining us today, man. We're excited to uh, to have you on the podcast. You also came recommended by uh, by a number of people, and I personally, you and I were just discussing here before we jumped on the podcast. We go way back, like 12, 12 13, 14, 15, 16, 15, maybe. 16, maybe. Yeah, months. <laughs> way way back, not years, but but months. Way back, but uh, obviously see all the all the good things you're doing on linkedin and what you're doing with your you know with your work at uh, at motivosity and the impact that you've had on on the industry and just the the connections that you have so we're super excited to have you on here dude thank you like we just have too many good common connections and vibes to ignore there's yeah. something special between ben and jared like we're, dude, something will happen one day and and excited to uh, i'm excited to, to see what that is maybe it's his podcast i think you might be the national syndication that we you know that we need probably not the attention to get us nationally syndicated i mean like we're almost there and this I, is what's going to push us over i can guarantee that my mom will listen <laughs> and that's probably as far as we'll go well that's better than than i can say my yeah. mom hasn't even listened well I, i'll have to turn it on for okay like yeah. she doesn't even know how to start a podcast, <laughs> so well dude i know your i know your background in in history because we do go so far back but uh to get us started tell us a little bit about yourself who you are how long you've been in the in the HR space? Yeah. You've you've kind of been on the on both sides of the table. The one being negotiated with, and the one doing the negotiating. Yeah. On on both sides, actually. So give us a little bit of your background. What you're what you're doing right now? Awesome. I have been in HR for about sixteen years. Um, so the whole time we've known each other. Yeah. Except years, not months. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been it's been great. I fell into it. I think most people find their profession by accident, right? I just fell into HR. Um, I, I spoke Spanish on my mission for my church, um, and came back and was in a Spanish speaking job, and just ended up translating a lot of recruiting. And um, the, my nightmare story is one day uh, a manager came and said, "Hey, I need you to I need you to come in my office." And we went in and we sat down. And he looked at me and this one other guy that was sitting next to me, had no idea why I was there. And he said, I want to let you know that you're fired. Yikes. And I like went white. And then he looked at me and he said, can you translate that? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, thanks for the heads up of what's about to happen. But like I fired people through translation and that was like my, my introduction to, to HR. Um, Did and, you do a good job? Uh, apparently, I guess. <laughs> um, and then when I got my master's degree, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, even though I was in like this HR world. And it was really my master's that confirmed that employee experience, culture, people operations is, is what I was most passionate about. Any topic we'd have in, in, in college, um, 
people is at the central issue of anything. Sure. And that's what I love to talk about is, okay, how did we get here? How are the people feeling and what's their experience? And so that's what confirmed that HR is what I was supposed to do. Um, and then I worked for a company called Zima Software for about five years. And my good friend uh, from high school started the company. We had, you know, a seven-year courtship. Every time we'd get together, I'd be like, dude, when are you going to hire me? <laughs> and finally, a role came open. And, and the way he positioned that, that job to me is he said, uh, hey, I'm so busy running the business, I can't write code all day. Um, so I did operations. I helped with our accounting system, board built out and hired. And so really just did a, a bunch of stuff there, spread my HR wings, so to speak. Uh, but after the company was really established and I'd done everything I needed, I, I went back to where I loved, which was people operations. Um, and then Motivosti sent me a text message one day and they said, hey, how do you feel about client success? And my initial reaction was no. Who was it? Like, was it Brad? It was Brad. Brad <laughs> sends me a text. And my response is no, like, I, I don't want to take care of customers. I, I'm an HR guy. Um, and he said, just come talk to us. And, and the way that he outlined that role was we talk to amazing customers around the world every single day. And then they, they purchase our software. And a year later, we go back and we need them to pay again. And we haven't really talked to them between the year. And so what we want is value add. We want someone to go and help them to feel the love and to see how to get the most out of the system and help their culture advance. And so what I do for Motivosity is I, I manage our CS team. And that's exactly what we spend our time doing. We talk about how to get the most out of their, their culture, how to take it to a new level, and how to find like the, the perfect human experience for their employees to help their employees be happier about being at work. We just spend so much time at work that we might as well enjoy it. And I think that there's a lot of things that HR believes makes a difference, like compensation and benefit design and um, you know autonomy. And some of those are, are important. I mean, I don't want to downplay that, but they're not like intrinsic motivators. I think that there's a difference of like an external motivator of money or a, a package of some kind. But intrinsically, we as humans want things that um, that we can't always get at work and maybe we can get it there, but it will phase out and we're on a different journey. And so I just love talking to employers about their culture and how they can help people on those individual paths that they actually have. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I, you know, it, it uh, with the world that we live in today, this theme kind of keeps popping up in, in our podcast with, with no matter who it is that we have as a guest no matter which industry it is that they represent. Obviously, we all kind of fall under, I mean, that's the that's the purpose of this podcast, but we all fall under this human capital umbrella, that you know, this HR umbrella. <clears throat> but things have changed this year with with everybody working remotely. And and you know, to hear you talk about the in the intrinsic versus the extrinsic stuff, motivators that, that you know that are that people find interest in, historically it's always just been about money. Show me the money and we'll get whoever we need to get. Now that's obviously very alluring still, but there's something that needs to be much, you know, much, much deeper than that. And I think nowadays with everything that's going on, that that has been even more magnified. And I think that's where a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of employers, a lot of employees are really struggling is to, uh, for an employer, an employer's perspective, knowing how to recognize, knowing how to incentivize, knowing how to help people feel like they're still a part of something bigger. 
that they're still contributing and doing something mean, meaningful with their with their work and with their life. And I think that's also the struggle with the employee is how do I stay engaged? How do I still feel involved? How can I keep that office camaraderie? How can I keep those office relationships, those friends? Because like you said, I mean, we spend so much time at work that we might as well enjoy it. Right. And you think about it during the work week, if you could remove the weekends. And sometimes we, you know, we find ourselves even working during the weekend. We spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our spouse. We totally. Yeah. We're sleeping a third of the time at home. Right. We're at work the other third of the time, like our waking hours, we're spending more time with our colleagues. And so I, it's, it's really, really interesting to hear you say that, but with the work that you do, I mean, you've always been so good at, at this, uh, at employee engagement and, and, uh, just you naturally, I don't know for, for those of you that, that, that don't follow Jared Olson on LinkedIn, he's a great one to follow. <clears throat> you've always, well, not always, when did you start kind of doing the highlight? Yeah, um, it was actually when I was on a job search. So it was when things were kind of phasing out at Zima. Um, I mean, I was still doing a good job for them, but I, we talk about personal paths and motivators, right? One of mine is emotional pay. And I really like the idea of emotional, spiritual, and physical pay, right? Yeah, All of those sure. have different uh, ratios at different times in our life where, where we really care about each one of them. And I was getting great financial pay, spiritual pay, but like my emotional pay at that time just wasn't great. And so I spent a year, like I took my time. I was really selective before I, I found my next gig because I was gainfully employed and making a difference. And I was interviewing with some companies that I had never heard of. And as I interviewed with them and spent, you know, seven or eight hours talking to these companies, I was like, these guys are awesome. We need more exposure to them. And so when I go interview, I didn't tell Zima this, but I would just take notes during it about how cool the company was. And then I would just share a post on, on LinkedIn about like, take a look at this company. And that evolved into me getting to hear certain people's stories. Cause I'd, I'd share the, the story of a company and then the CEO would reach out and say, man, thank you so much. Come tell me a little bit more about yourself, which was one, a really cool interview experience sure. because like here I'm a candidate getting the CEO's attention. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a great hiring tip for anyone. A great listening. hiring tip for anybody <laughs> listening. Uh, but that just led into networking events where I just heard people's story and I've networked my whole career. Right. Um, one of the best pieces of advice my dad ever gave me is when, when you know what kind of industry you want to be a part of, go volunteer in it. And so even before I finished my master's degree and knew I wanted to do HR, I was still volunteering at Salt Lake Sherman. And I was the chapter president there. And um, I just got to meet a lot of cool people. And I think the one thing that changed for me was this thing clicked in my head where I started to just take notes where I started to say, this is an interesting conversation. I love that quote, or I love that point, or that principle is really interesting. And then I just plot my cell phone and I just take notes. I mean, you're literally taking notes right now. Oh, yeah. I did the same thing on my phone, but when you're done, you'll probably just keep those notes in your notebook. And I just said, I'm gonna show this online. Here's the interaction that I had with someone. And um, I started to call it hashtag people of Silicon Slopes. Um, because these are the people that are making a difference in, in Utah's business community. And I even talk to people outside of Utah's business community, but this is someone you should know. And some of the time they're big names, people that everybody knows and love, like the Ben Grimm's of the world. <laughs> but then there's also people that maybe no one's ever heard of before that they should be in the spotlight. And, and we as individuals, talking about going back to intrinsic motivators, are built and designed psychologically to crave validation 
and to, to be seen at our best. Marcus Buckingham has a book called Nine Lies About Work, and one of the lies is that people can be rated. We can't rate people because we're all different. And one of the things that he says is instead of looking at bugs in people, look at the features that they bring. And we want to be seen for our features when we're at our best with our teams. And so if we can't rate people, then what can we do? Validate, hear them out, look for the good, it, uh, it embellish the good things that happen to make them feel even better about themselves. And so we need to be vulnerable and we need to be authentic and we need people to be in the spotlight. And it pays a lot of uh, emotional bills and it really speaks to many people's intrinsic motivators of validation and power and empathy. And it's different for each person, but everyone loves to be praised. Sure. So knowing that you started off the introduction with your first experience to HR was firing somebody in Spanish. Right. And, and now you're talking about embellishing the, the good things that are doing, not embellishing, but really just spotlighting, drawing, right. drawing, yeah. drawing more atten as much attention as you can, which is a lot of what your software does. And, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, and just naturally and how that can apply and how people can use that tool. But how can you we can't always focus on the good things we can't. What did you say Marcus Buckingham said? You can't ra rate people. You can't rate people. People can't be rated. So when they're not living up to the job description, when they're not living up to the scorecard, whether that was a bad hire on the employer's part or not, how do you have those? How do you do all of those things? You personally, like how do you personally do all of those things and then still have that conversation that it's time to move on? Things okay. So some really simple practical tips. Um, the first tip is don't do it at the office, right? And that's different in a COVID world where we're home and stuff. But if you're an HR professional, then just put yourself in the employee's perspective for a second. You HR comes to you and says, hey, do you have a minute to talk? Or even your manager comes to you and says, do you have a minute to talk? You follow them into their office. And as you're walking in with them, a million things are racing sure. through your mind. You sit down and you're like, as the employee in this chair with nothing around you, you're very vulnerable. They're behind their modesty shield. They're behind their desk. They're in their place of, of, of comfort and authority. And then they're going to say, Ben, I need to talk to you about this. We've been having a problem lately. There's some people have been telling us about X, Y, and Z. Well, the Oz principle um, is a great book and it talks about how our experiences create our beliefs, our beliefs create our outcomes. And I forget all, all the logistics, I butchered that a little bit, but you get the idea. Sure. Every time we go talk to our manager, they're saying you need to improve this. Or we talk to HR, they're saying you're not doing a great job there. We feel like a failure and we immediately go on the defense. So we don't even hear the feedback that we're supposed to receive at that time. So by going to a, a, a a neutral place, a restaurant. Like the great thing about a restaurant, even if it's a cup of coffee or something like that, is we all as humans love food. We need food. And so when you're standing in line to buy food or going to a restaurant, you're going to chit chat about what your plans are for the upcoming holiday or what you thought of the football game or whatever it might be. And human connection is going to start to result. And then the big shift that needs to happen, I think, for having these difficult conversations is instead of accusing, because there's always multiple sides to the story. Why don't you help them advocate? So the way that I like to do that, um, let's just use an example of attendance because mm -hmm. it's an easy one to think of. Instead of saying, hey, you've, you've been coming into late work. We've got a problem with your attendance and it's against our policy. 
What if you simply say, hey, I've noticed that our team lately has been having a hard time with like getting to meetings on time. Have you noticed that, right? Your just general question about the team. Guarantee that employee is going to say, oh, well, I know I'm guilty of that. Oh, okay. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, why do you think we are struggling with attendance as, as a company, as a team? Oh, well, I know for me, it's very specifically this. And they'll start going into their detail and opening up. And then you as the leader can simply say, well, how, how can we fix that? Like, how do you think we can help the team become better? Mm -hmm. And when you make it about the team or about someone else, it's not so personal and we don't go on the defense. And the employee will start brainstorming ideas to help the team become better. And all of a sudden they go back to the office and they're an advocate. Instead of being a victim, they're an advocate saying, okay, I know what our team has to do to make this change. And all you're doing is say that simple paradigm shift of flipping the question, hey, what can we do as a team? Or throw yourself under the bus. I do that a lot. Sure. Um, I've noticed when I have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, if I want them to get outside of their bubble and thinking about the day-to-day -day details of what they're doing, I'll give them a really outside-the-box idea. Hey, earlier today, I was, I was on my run. I was thinking about this principle from Radical Candor. Here's what Kim Scott said. What do you think about that? And they're going to be so caught off guard by this random question. It's going to put them mentally in a new field where they're going to feel a little bit vulnerable and we're just going to brainstorm. We're just going to go back and forth. Just like this podcast, as we discuss certain things, we're going to be like, that's really interesting. And then real work can happen because you're in a different spot. So kind of like throw yourself under the bus yeah. if you need to, or <laughs> present such a radical idea that they've never thought of that it puts them in a different state of mind. I think those are two simple ways that you can really help provide meaningful feedback without belittling somebody. Sure. I like that. And, and that, I think that, uh, I mean, that's what you guys do. That's what your, that's what Motivosity is about as far as providing the, getting that employee engagement, providing that, that candid feedback, magnifying the things that they're doing well, recognizing the things that they're doing well in front of the team. And so I'm sure that you have statistics, like let's talk about how that actually impacts a, a company, how it impacts a business before we got started here. Maybe it was during the podcast. Um, you were talking about retention, how your your job and primarily what you do is in managing the, the CS team is focusing on retention, right. which is obviously a crucial thing for for a company as well. We want to hang on to our, you know, to our good employees. And how do we how does that directly impact the bottom line? I know that it's going to have a big impact on culture, but can you maybe talk about that a little bit? The 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 numbers behind it, the science behind it, how that keeps them engaged and wanting to come back for more and do, you know, contribute to the, to the bigger picture. Well, let's just talk philosophical for a second. Um, I saw a post recently online and, and a teacher went to a, a, a whiteboard and they wrote down the nine multiplication timetables, nine times one equals nine times two. And she messed up one of them on purpose. So she got nine out of the 10 that were correct. And everyone in the class started laughing that this teacher had met, missed a simple math question. And she let him laugh about it. And then it died down. And her response was, this is what the world is like. Hmm. You're going to get nine out of 10 correct. And everyone's going to harp on the one bad thing that you did. And I think that that's so true about business, yeah. right? Like philosophically, do we want to be the kind of company that looks for the good and celebrates accomplishments? Or do we want to be the kind of company that belittles people and makes them feel really small? 
Now you could have a one-on-one -on -one, Ben with, with your boss and they could say you're awesome a thousand times. And then at the very end, they could say, I really want to talk to you about this issue that you're dealing with. And I bet on your drive home, you're only going to think about that one negative thing. And you're going to talk to your wife and say, man, I, I'm falling short as it relates to this topic. Philosophically, like I don't, I don't want to be that kind of person or that kind of leader. I don't know a lot of leaders that want that. We have done a bad job in business and in HR of training leaders to, to performance manage. What do you like? Performance manage is, I think, the wrong term as well. I, I don't know exactly what that, that perfect term is, but if we're going to develop people, we need to develop them by looking at the good. And once again, Marcus Buckingham, there are no bugs inside people. There are just features. So what if instead of looking at the bad you do, we look at the good you have and how that can help the organization overall? So my first question is, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't that just generally make sense that that's the kind of place you'd want to be and that you would have more results as a company? Yeah, for sure. And it's just interesting as you go through that. Emotionally, it's like I know that. And then intellectually, when I get to work, it's almost like we just fall back into these habitual patterns of and, and even outside of work. As you say that, I literally just thought of my daughter's, my 15 year old's report card. Yeah. You and I live close enough to each other that I believe you're in the Jordan School District. Yeah. They made a change this year during COVID, which I didn't know this until recently, but they made a change this year where 80 percent of a student's grade is based off of assessments. Yeah. Not all of the work that they've done throughout the year, but on the assessments. Coincidentally, okay, maybe not coincidentally, maybe consequently, the students in large part are failing. They're getting terrible grades. Yeah. Feel like I'm a pretty smart guy. You got a master's degree, which came from work, not from intelligence, right? It's, it's the elbow grease. Anyways, as my daughter has brought home her report card, it's almost like because that's the way we've always handled things is focusing on what you can improve, what you can improve. It's hard not to say, Hey, what's going on in math? You're, yeah. you're getting a C in, in math, you know, has five other A's or A minuses or B pluses or whatever, but then you focus on, on the math and, and I'll have this, I'll have this mental battle at home. Like, you know what? I'm not even going to mention, I'm not even going to mention the C I'm just going to talk all about the A's and the B's. But then it's, I start arguing with myself, right? Well, I got to address it. Yeah. Like, how do we fix it? How do we solve it? And you might be getting to this and I want you to jump back on course here, but I, 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 are you talking more about, I'm sure you and every, you know, a lot of the people in the world have read at some point or parts of the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. And Stephen Covey, Dr. Covey always talked about the emotional bank account, mm -hmm. emotional deposits, emotional withdrawals. Yep. And when you asked me the question, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to work in an organization like that? The answer is, is yes. And you also gave the example of if I sat in a in a one on one coaching with, you know, with the person that I report to and he told me 99 things that I did right. And and the one thing that I need to work on, how I would think about that the whole way home. And I think that depends a little bit on how have our all of our other coachings so true. gone. Has he focused on the 90, you know, has he spent all of our previous times on emotional deposits? Because um, I had a really good leader speaking of Frank, of, of uh, Stephen Covey. I worked at Franklin Covey for, for a time. Nice. And one of the best leaders I ever had is a guy named Sean Moon. 
that that works there. And he was the best at this. He was so good at emotional deposits that when he had to take a withdrawal, when he had to say, this needs to be changed, we need to do this. And the way he did it was so professional as well. I wanted to, I wanted to jump mountains and in, in your climb out. Can you jump? I you could probably jump a mountain. <laughs> no, but I could throw a football. I could throw a football <laughs> over the mountain. But but I, you, I just wanted to run through a, a wall for that guy, right? Yeah. Like, hey, if he told if he told me I need to fix it, I need to fix it. I'm gonna do whatever it takes yeah. to get this done. Is that kind of? You're talking about speed of trust, right? Yeah, now, sure. Now we've switched over to, to trust, and that's a huge thing with managers and employees and, and and that factors big time into this because how well is my how good is my relationship with my leader if it's not great and every interaction i have is negative then retention so here's where we get to like how's retention factor i'm out we see the lens of the company and the culture through the lens of our manager and our team yeah. because that's that's our world that's where everything happens our team and our manager and if it's not a good fit, then we're going to bounce. We're going to be out of there. Yeah. How's the saying go? They don't quit the company. They quit their, their manager. Yeah, it's, it's true. And we need to have trust, right? And, and that's where another question comes in. When you think of your, your interaction with Brent, right? Your manager. When was the last time that you and Brent spent an hour just talking about your mental well-being and your emotional attitude and how hub is aligning with your career goals and aspirations have you guys done that recently we have talked about not mental health i did vent to him about my teenage daughters the other day yeah, that's does, good. does that that's, count that counts for sure but we um but i feel like he and i actually have a, a pretty good uh relationship as far as that's concerned where we where he will talk about my career aspirations and how that fits with hub and the direction that we're going but i will say you and i talked about um, people in common before the podcast yep. started. And I would say in almost every other aspect, it, it almost never happened. Right. And I'm obviously no longer there, there, right. I'm no longer you're in with Brent, right. Because you're doing that. And I mean, even think about your intrinsic motivators, mine are, are family and faith, right? So when was the last time I talked about God with my manager? It was like yesterday. Um, because those are my motivators, right? And and I think that so often we sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one and we say, okay, let's talk about this deal that's on the line. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your numbers. And we don't stop to say, how are you doing? How can you become better? What do you need? And not in a business sense, but like in a real world sense where we're vulnerable and we're able to be authentic and say, I am really struggling with like depression right now. And I'm talking to my therapist and they're giving me this and that and the medication's not working. And I, that project, you want to know why it was late last week? It was late because I couldn't, I couldn't get my medication straight. Like, That's a real world response. And we almost never hear it. Sure. And we almost never hear that in, in HR because HR, the people are saying, well, what kind of medication and how often? And that goes in this slippery slope. Right. Like now you can't be who you really are. And that's, that's what we need with, intrinsic motivators and that's how we can improve our retention for employees um it's also the people that you work with on your team so i, I don't want to go over that too fast um i have worked at companies where I, I i typically stay around for about three years and i stayed at one company for five and the honest reason i stayed for two extra years is because one of my closest friends worked there mm. and i loved working with and so if you want to improve your internal retention, it's got to start with having an awesome team. 
Um, and the manager has to get out of the way a lot of the time and just let the team get work done. The other retention angle that I think is really important to talk about is just customer retention. Um, employees that are happy and that genuinely care and that they're making a difference. And we've, we've already talked a little bit about this, but the, the, the dent that the organization is making on the world, um, we need our customers to feel that. And I don't think that often enough organizations talk to their customers about the psychology of why they exist. I think we say, here's what our product can do and here's the services that we offer, but they don't say, here's a different and a better way to, to tackle this issue. And yeah. here's how we're doing that from a very philosophical standpoint. Because when those customers have that vision, then all of a sudden you're speaking to their personal motivators, you're speaking to what they're trying to accomplish as an organization. And that's very quantifiable, right? Revenue retention and the amount of churn and logo churn and all that type of stuff um, is super important but it starts with helping our customers see the, the organization's why and link that organizational why with their personal why. Yeah. You know, you, uh, with your, with your role being primarily that of retention and, and what you just said, have you ever fired a, a customer, a client, because they don't, they're actually contributing to the, to the negative culture, the negative thoughts, the negative attitude that's taking place on the team. Well, and what's really interesting as well, like in the software, because I'm in the software space, is when those customers come and are really upset that they don't philosophically align, it's because they want new features and they want new things. That just creates what we would call a Frankenstein product. And so we have to educate those customers of like, hey, we're not going to do that and we never will. And here's why. And so it my angle obviously is instead of firing them to provide a new light so that they can see, Oh, this is different. Like let's just, so in, in real world for, for mode of Austin, um, we're in the HR space. Uh, most, most HR professionals know their HRIS, mm -hmm. right? No employee in the world has ever woken up and said, I can't wait to go use my HRIS. Sure. I can't wait to clock in and request time off. Like no one is excited. It's about usually that. the opposite. It's total opposite. I hate my HRIS. Yeah. <laughs> and so if a customer comes to us and says, hey, our HRIS can do this and you can't, well, we're going to educate. We're going to say, yeah, and no one uses your HRIS. Yeah. Like if you really want to do it the right way, that's why we've built it like we have. And also we never want to process your payroll. Um, we never want to enroll you in your benefits. Those are not things that make people happier about being at work. We only want to do things that get employees happier about being there every single day. And so helping them see that vision of like where we play and where we don't play yeah. has really helped educate them. And yeah, they self-select or we select them out as well. Yeah. And we say, okay, we're not headed down that direction. Say, well, we have to have it. Great. It sounds like your HRIS can do that. So good luck and, and thank you so much. And it, it takes a, a large level of swagger. And that's honestly something that I'm trying to develop. When a customer comes and says, hey, we're going to leave because you can't do this, in, in my opinion, dumb thing that you want us to do, I'm going to take off. You have to be confident in your product enough to be able to say, and that's okay. And that's okay because we're not trying to accomplish what you want to. And I think that the, the retention angle is you're probably going to lose them either way. Sure. If they don't eventually. See, eventually you're going to lose them because if they don't see the vision of where you're going and they're not aligned with that, then they're going to bounce. Yeah. Or if you don't build what they want, then they're going to bounce. And so like, or you're building a feature for somebody that won't be there two years exactly. from now. Exactly. 
So I think it's really cool um, the the kind of coming full circle here to you to what you started personally when you were looking for a for a job, uh, highlighting and featuring certain individuals on on LinkedIn. I think that's got to do that emotional payoff, like you you that's know like huge. you talked about, not just for you but for the people that you're highlighting as well. And and maybe they feel a little bit embarrassed when it first goes up. But I think that deep down, they've got to feel like, man, it feels good to, you know, that that Jared sees this and 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 ask these questions. And I think a lot of times asking those questions, it just builds confidence in themselves as they as they answer the questions as well. But I think it's been really cool to see you your your path kind of land where you have in in your work career, because that all is just personal life. Right. That has been who you are and how you've wanted to do things. And it started from you looking for a job and has just kind of grown into this other thing where you're recognizing certain people for things that they have done. Uh, you're engaging with certain people to fight to, you know, to then ask those questions to find the things that they have done. And then you land at a company like Motivosity, which the entire software feels like it is 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 just that appreciation. just yeah. all about appreciation. Yeah. So I would love for you to talk about just the the uh, the value behind what you guys yeah. do and how and how it is impacting teams right now. Um, Motivosity is we've done a lot of research and in that research, what we've tried to identify is what really helps people be happier about being at work. And we, we've narrowed it down to, to four very specific things. And this research has, has taken years to, uh, to find. And we've worked with great companies like Gallup and Forbes and everybody else. And the first thing that is important for employee satisfaction is connection. And that's connection with your colleagues. It's connection with your manager. And not just being able to see the work that they do, but really being able to understand personality assessments and interests and um, being able to, to, to highlight the good things that other people are doing and to, to celebrate key milestones in their individual life. So connecting with people is, is critical in making sure that we're happier at work. If you feel like you're an island on your own, you have no loyalty sure. and you will leave at, at the drop of a hat for any other reason if you can feel connected. Uh, the second thing that we have found is the ability to recognize. Um, we, at our best, want to be seen. Um, we want to be validated. We've talked a lot about that today. Um, it's not hard. Like, it's really not hard to, to look for the good that somebody does and to call that out. And, so, you know, extroverts are fine with that in a public form. Introverts want it done in, in, in confidential ways. But when you recognize people for the hard work that they do, it makes them feel like a, a million bucks. And um, we've talked about some of the posts that I've done. And I followed up with some of those people months after and said, hey, what did this do for you? And, and I've had a lot of people even say that their level of confidence has really skyrocketed. And that confidence may not be just at work. It may even be with their family life or their parenting skills or, or something like that. So that it increases our confidence when we're recognized. The third thing that we have found is listening. Um, understanding employee sentiment is so critical to be able to get real-time pulse and real-time data to be able to tell us, uh, you know, what's the organization going through right now. Um, we have had a lot of, of CEOs reach out to us that are Motivosity customers, and they have said during COVID, the only pulse I have had on my organization is Motivosity. Like this is the only insight I have. Like I don't see people. I don't get to talk to people as often. 
Um, and there is a forum, a public forum in Motivosti that shows the, the appreciations and the highlights and what the sentiment actually is. And the analytics behind that are really powerful to be able to help a manager know if your team's becoming disengaged and what's causing that disengagement. So it puts the manager in the driver's seat to be more proactive instead of reactive. And the fourth and final thing is, is that of leading. Um, we want, there's a big difference between managing and leading, and we want to help managers become leaders. And that happens through a couple of different ways. Um, there's some key manager activities that, that Motivosity is based around. And one of them we talked a lot about is one-on-ones and facilitating meaningful conversations between employees. Now, most, most people do one-on-ones by, you know, occasionally getting together, you know, they're not even a common calendar. And then when you get together, there's like two or three things you talk about. You never follow up on it. And so Motivosity allows a common agenda for people to go in and to say, hey, here's what I want to discuss with you, Ben, as my manager. Here's what I want from you. And for you to say, here's what I want to discuss with you. Um, and when so, they put those in, does the system save it? Like, is that safe? Totally. It's all, all there. So you never forget the previous one-on-ones you've had with your manager and what you've discussed. Um, the other manager behavior that's really important is priorities. And there's a difference between goals and priorities. Talking about goals is all about being in the past. A goal is something you set as a new year resolution. And then in December, you're like, did I do my goal? You're looking in the past. We would rather look in the present and the future, which are priorities. What are you actively working on now that you need help with? And so being able to track how long is a priority a priority for? Was it, was it completed? Was it abandoned? What actually led to, to that, um, that priority and how did it play out is important. And then linking all of that with appreciation is critical. So imagine like we sit down, we have an hour long one-on-one where we're very authentic and vulnerable with each other. We talk about what's on our minds, and then you follow that up with an appreciation in front of the whole company that says, Jared, thanks so much for really sharing with me that you're struggling with this, this, and this. I, you know, I'm so confident in your ability to take care of our customers. That's going to make me feel really great even after we've had a good one-on-one. So linking those two together is really important. And then the third triangle that now we're bringing in is that employee sentiment. So you can identify who a top performer is. When that top performer becomes disengaged, what's causing the disengagement? And then how can you provide the positive reinforcement to help them become more engaged? So that's that's what Motivosity is trying to do by helping employees be happier at work. It's by focusing on those key behaviors and activities that help us be happy every day. Yeah, I love that. The um, So it, your, your software, like you said, will compile all this stuff together to where uh, a manager that is hopefully turning into a leader can access all this stuff. And it really kind of helps paint the picture and tell the story of where that employee has been, where they're at now and where you guys are going together. Totally, Jared, that's great information, man. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Give us a couple thoughts that you would, that you would send us off with in closing. I mean, it's just, it's going to be fun to sit back and see where Jared Olson goes. And I think it's going to be something together is how you started this podcast, that it's going to end somewhere together. And it's going to be, Amazing. Amazing. It's yeah. going to be awesome. But give us a couple a, a couple parting thoughts as we talk about in, employee engagement. Again, all this stuff that we're that we're dealing with right now, I feel like it's it's always critical. It's it's mission critical. But uh, even reading the headlines right now, the, the the number of students that are struggling because of quarantine and they're stuck at home and the mental impact that it's having, you know, because they can't be at school 
engaging with their teachers, engaging with their students. Our own school district shut down a little bit early uh, before, right before Thanksgiving. And I watched the broadcast from the, from the school superintendent talking to the board and deciding on whether or not they were going to go back right after Thanksgiving. It was super interesting to hear the perspective of the teachers in going to this virtual environment because they had, it was the first time my, one of my, my third child is a, is a seventh grader. It's her first time going to this big, scary junior yeah. high. And the teachers loved the, the two weeks that they did this virtual classroom because it was the first time they ever saw their face. Yeah. They, you know, they usually have these masks up and all they're seeing is, you know, are, are their eyes. And so they, the, the teachers were trying to get some of that personal interaction over virtual, but the mental impact that it's having on the kids, on the teachers, not being able to have that personal interaction, that engagement, we're obviously struggling with that as employers as well, trying to figure out how do we help people feel appreciated, feel, you know, feel involved, be, recognized and and uh you know rewarded for the things that they're doing obviously your guys software motivosity handles a lot of that but just some parting thoughts on things that we can do to to be better and to address this through this quarantine and and, and stuff that we find ourselves in right now um you know i i guess i want to give like a, a parenting thought and that that parenting thought uh, there's a great book by dr glenn latham is called parenting with love and it talks about providing positive reinforcement but I think the interesting thing that happens as a parent is the perspective you have of somebody's possibility and their capability to become something great. Um, my youngest is two, and he is staying up at night because the blankets aren't laid on him the right way when he rolls <laughs> over, right? Like, that's what we're dealing with. Now, it'd be really easy to label Milo, is his name, and to be like, he's a, he's a sucks at sleeping, right? But... As, as his dad, I know that Milo's going to overcome this blanket thing. I know that he's going to become great when he's in high school. I know that he's going to be a great dad one day. I know he's going to be a great grandfather one day. And I think we so often in COVID days look at people at the mask and we, we don't really get to know who's behind the mask. We just say, oh, that's a student in my class. Or we put a label on him. Milo can't sleep but we need a longer perspective. We need to see the good that they can bring. We need to ask hard questions. Like if you have a real question for someone on your team of, are you gonna stick around because our pay is not good enough? You need to just be blunt and ask it. If you're concerned about someone's emotional well-being, you need to ask them, are you suicidal? You need to ask these difficult questions to really get to see people and what they can become. Perfect. Let's end with that. I appreciate it, Jared. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. If people want to learn more and know more about Motivosity, where do they go? Who do uh, they reach out to? Motivosity.com or just hit hit me up on, on LinkedIn. Um, Jared on, Olson. O-L-S-E-N. E-N. That's right. Not O-N. Not O-N. E-N. And uh, I connect with everybody on LinkedIn. So send me a request and we'll connect. Perfect. Thank you, Jared. Thanks again. If you'd like to learn more about Jared Olson and Motivosity, visit www.motivosity.com or feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn. Subscribe to the Better Employer podcast for more expert conversations and guidance on how to succeed as a leader in an ever-changing world.